Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Well, good morning. If you're not pumped up after that, we're going home. For those of you that are new, I'm Pastor Joey. I want to say welcome to our church. I'm so excited for you to be here. And as we round off 2023, um, it is such a pleasure to worship in the house of God with God's people. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so we're kicking off today something that uh, we're going to be in for the next couple of weeks. And I'm just really excited because I just believe that God is getting ready to lead us as a church into a new season And every year, what I do, and I heard this several years ago, it's always kind of stuck with me, that rather than coming up with a bunch of New Year's resolutions that you're not going to keep past next week anyway, um, what God laid on my heart and what he introduced to me through a a radio program one day is just to choose one word to kind of be like your theme for the year. And so I started this with our church several years ago and started praying, God, what would be your word for the next year? And it's really interesting if you go back and i did this one one year i went back with over all the words that god had spoken um, for the last few years and it was amazing to see how that word kind of carried through the theme of the year and different things god did and brought us through and last year the word was focus if you remember if you were here and we did the uh, the devotional together it was on focus and how many of you know we had a lot of work this last year especially getting into this place where we needed to really focus and, and so we are, we're so thankful for those of you that come, that serve, that give. You know, every, every dollar that comes in goes to pay for the rent, the lights, um, you know, the snacks for the kids, all the things that we get to do here on a regular basis, as well as the impact that we can make in the community. All that is due to your faithfulness in giving. And we're so thankful for those of you that give and encourage everyone to participate. Because how many of you know it's not equal gifts, it's equal sacrifice that makes this thing work? Amen. And so, and so this year, I, I just really got, several weeks ago, felt like the Lord just kind of deposited something in my spirit. And if you didn't know already, it's called Suit Up. That's, that's where we're going. And uh, we're going to kind of get into that a little bit. But for the kickoff, what we're going to be discussing today is really, I, I was praying, I was like, Lord, you know, how, how do we want to introduce this? What do you want me to talk about? And what he laid on my heart is just this phrase, the war in the heavenlies. The war in the heavenlies. And there is a spiritual war happening in the heavenly places at all times with um, God's people. And we're going to kind of talk about that, kind of peel back the, the veil a bit today, just kind of reveal that to you. And this is kind of what's going to kick off our devotional, our 21 days of fasting and prayer. Uh, we're encouraging each one that calls Vertical Life Church home to fast and pray with us for the next 21 days starting tomorrow and, and really to kind of align our hearts with God's vision, with God's heart, what he wants for us individually, and what he wants for us as a church, and then to what he wants to do with us in this community. And so we hope that you join us in that fast. But before we get in, I'm just going to say a, a prayer, and we're going to get into the message today. And then at the end, we've got a prophetic ministry, which is always a blessing, and we're going to be encouraged for that as well. Lord God, we just thank you for your presence today. I thank you, God, that you're still a God who speaks 
you're still a God who cares. God, you didn't just create everything and abandon us into, into nothingness. God, you are actively involved. Just like that prayer we, we declared together, Lord, you are working in everything, the good and the bad that we experience, to bring goodness into the lives of those who love you and who trust in you. And so, God, we just reaffirm that trust and that faith this morning. God, we thank you for the word of God and how you have given it to us to not just be a pathway for life, but to give us insight into what's happening, to partner with you, to bring glory into the world the way you desire, God. You sent Jesus here to reveal your glory, and now you're sending the church out into the world to reveal your glory. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come fill this place. Come direct this time. God, open our hearts. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that can understand, and a heart that is ready to believe in and receive everything you have for us. And if you agree together, church, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. So I'm a history buff. I love history, and we're just going to do a little history lesson this morning uh, just to kick off the subject matter, not real long. But there's a story from World War II that I think adequately describes kind of what we're going, what's going on, what we're experiencing today. How many of you know that World War II ended September in 1945? In 1945, in the month of September, World War II ended, yet not all of Japan's forces knew that the war had ended. And so the Allied forces, we, we, you know, D-Day comes, we have victory, and, and Japan was one of the guys we were fighting against. Remember, we dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, but even after all of that, some of the Japanese forces did not know the war had ended. There was a man named Hiro Onada. I think we have a picture of him. We can throw up on the screen. It's the man there in the middle. Hiro Onada was sent to Lubang Island in the Philippines in December of 1944, so almost a year before the war ended. He was there with a small battalion of soldiers, and when the war ended, news never reached Hiro Onada. Matter of fact, he and his battalion uh, continued to fight, continued to skirmish. Even when the U.S. Armed Forces came and, and took over the Philippines, they, they set the people free. Uh, they maintained their cover in the, in the jungle and were doing military guerrilla-style tactics fighting against the enemy. And Hiro Onada refused to give up. No matter how many people from the villages said the war's over, there were family that found out where he was. They sent messages, the war's over. He would not give up until a commanding officer above him from the Japanese military came to relieve him of duty. And so on March 9th, 1974, when Japan finally figured out where he was, they sent a retired commanding officer, Major Yoshima Taniguchi, who had long surrendered and become a bookseller. He wasn't even in the military anymore. They sent him over to the Philippines to relieve Onada of his duties because he just wouldn't quit. He wouldn't give up. And so nearly 29 years continuing the fight after the war was over did Hiro Onada finally surrender and end the battle of World War II. Can you imagine that? Like 29 years, the war had already been over, but he continued to fight. You see, the glorious reality for believers in Jesus Christ, there is a spiritual war, and that war has already been won. 
when Jesus went to the cross, he defeated the enemy. Matter of fact, he defeated the enemy with his own weapon, the weapon of death. He defeated death with death itself. When he rose again from the dead, he defeated and put, to, put an end to this battle. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, here's what the scripture says. It says, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities of the unseen world. He put them to an open shame by triumphing over them. So Jesus, he conquered the enemy. The war is over. And he literally took their stuff. He disarmed the rulers. So Jesus didn't just win. He went and took all their weapons. He took all their stuff. He plundered the enemy camp. And it says in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said to them, this is after he rose from the dead, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he didn't just take their stuff. He took all the ground. Like he, if you want to play king of the hill, he's king of all the hills. Isn't that awesome? To know that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. He is supreme. He has assumed supreme control over all creation. And we know that his name is the name that's above every name. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of our father. So the war has been won, and Jesus is on the throne in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But how many of you know that the battles aren't over yet? Like Onada, the enemy camp is still acting like the war has not been officially ended, that it's not been called off, and our enemy refuses to surrender. But one day a superior officer is going to come and relieve him of duty. When that trumpet sounds and he comes down on the white horse with all of the angels with him, it's going to be a glorious day. But Jesus is not just the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not just, you know, God in flesh, but as God, he's also the architect of all creation. The Bible says there was nothing made that wasn't made by him. So Jesus isn't just our Savior. He's also our creator. He created everything. And when Jesus created the world, he didn't just create everything inside the physical world, but he also created everything inside the spiritual world. If we go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning. Isn't it amazing that at the beginning, it says, in the beginning? I don't know, I just find that funny. In the beginning. Of course it's the beginning. It's the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Somebody say the heavens. He created the heavens and the earth. Now, that word heavens is not singular, it's plural. And this word, it, it has a nuance to it in the original language. It refers to more than just one place. It refers to the air that we breathe. Everyone go, the air that we breathe, the atmosphere. It, it refers to the, where the birds fly, so up in the sky. It also refers to outer space where the planets are. But this word also refers to... The spiritual world where God lives or the, where spiritual beings live. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, after the Bible records God's creation of all the world and all the universe, all the galaxies, in Genesis 2, 1, it says, Thus the heavens, somebody say the heavens. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. So Genesis 2.1, God's done creating. He's made it all. Everything that will exist, exists. But then he says, not just as heaven and earth are finished, but all the hosts of them. Somebody say hosts. So this word hosts, again, it, it is plural. 
it's similar to the word the heavens. The word host can mean objects or things, beings that occupy territory or space. And so if we think about what the Bible just told us, that God created everything, everything in the cosmos, but he also created hosts. There are hosts on earth, all living things, all the things that live and breathe and occupy the earth. There are hosts in space, like the sun, the moon, and the stars. But there are also hosts in the spiritual world. There are spiritual beings. And this word host actually carries with it a connotation that primarily refers to war or warfare. And so this word host really describes armies prepared for battle. There is a title or a name for God in the Bible. It's Jehovah Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of heaven's armies. And so when the Bible says not only did God create everything, but he also created all of the hosts, it means he has established something, not just beings to occupy space, but he's actually established realms of authority, realms uh, like we would think of judici judiciary uh, places or places that have governance. This is what God established. And in those areas, he created uh, spiritual beings in the heavens that we really categorize in two different ways. The first way is angels. Those are the ones that give us the good feelings, right? They're the ones on, on, on the left side that's like, oh, don't do that. It's going to hurt you. You know, like, do, do good things, right? And then we see angels visit, like Gabriel visiting Mary and, and different angel, angelic visitations. But then the other way we categorize spiritual beings, even though there's lots of different kinds, the other way is the ones we don't really care for. They're what we call demons, so just like God set up government on earth, he also established government in the heavenly places. And there are these spiritual beings that find themselves on other, either side warring against each other. And Jesus created all of them. In Colossians chapter 1, 15 and 16, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He's supreme over all creation, for through him... God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, and he made the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. So think about this. Jesus is the one that created everything. He created the heavenly realms. He created all the angels. And he even created the beings that defected from heaven that are now demons, that have rebelled. And so Jesus has been at war with his own creation. He's the creator of the seen and the unseen. Many of the spiritual beings, like humanity, as we chose to rebel against God in the garden and we chose to eat of the tree, many of these spiritual beings have also chosen to go their own way. And there's one in particular one spiritual being that has authority, it's seemingly, over all of the other spiritual beings that have rebelled. We call him the devil. We call him Satan. We actually are not even told what his name is. But he's given lots of titles in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, we're going to look at one of the particular titles that the Bible gives this being, this great enemy of God, this great enemy of God's people. And here's what Paul says to the church of Ephesus. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you were once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Somebody say the prince of the power of the air. 
Try to say that 10 times fast. There's a little tongue twister for you. But this is one of his titles, the prince of the power of the air. And we're told what he is. He's a spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So this natural state of rebellion in the world, the rebellion against God, is actually an effect of this being's work in the world, this prince of the power of the air. And to kind of see what he's like or really his nature, we just kind of break down that title a little bit. That this spirit, he's influencing this rebellion in the earth. That word prince is the Greek, in the Greek language is the word archon. Somebody say archon. It simply means chief magistrate. So out of all the ruling beings, he's chief. He's top dog. And so he's not just archon. He's not just chief. He's not just the highest official, but that word power, somebody say power. That word power doesn't mean strength. It, it can, but it really has a nuance to it. It's the Greek word exousia, which means authority, weight, especially in moral authority or influence. So he is the chief magistrate, and he is the highest influencer in the spiritual world. I think it's funny that today when we talk about social media, everyone wants to be what? An influencer. Is it a coincidence that the one who rules the world is raising up influencers in the world? I'll just let you marinate on that for a minute. Not only is he the chief magistrate, not only is he the chief influencer, but it says he's the prince of the power of the air. This is the Greek word air, spelled a little differently. And it's just like the word heavens in the Old Testament. It refers to those three realms, really, the air we breathe, the atmosphere, the, the spiritual realm. It, it is that in-between place. So we understand that this being's realm of authority is not in heaven with God, but it's not on earth with man. Why? Because God, heaven is God's, earth is man's. He rules the in-between. He rules the in-between space, this spiritual reality. So if you think about the, the sky, you think about you know, what this word air means, where does the wind blow? That word spirit can also mean breath or wind. So where does the wind blow? It blows in the sky. It blows in the atmosphere, right? So if you think about the nature of the spiritual world, it's like the air. It's like the, the wind blowing. This is the, the realm in which he is a part of. It is felt, it is tangible, but yet it is invisible. This is the spiritual world. So Satan rules from what the Bible would call the second heaven, that intermediate place between heaven and earth. And he rules as the prince in the power of the air or the sky. And many cultures in the world have depictions of sky gods in their pantheons that represent this being who stands in opposition to the true God, Yahweh, or Jesus. In Roman mythology, you had Jupiter and Samanus, I think that's how you say his name. In Greek mythology, you had Zeus. In Germanic mythology, you had Thor. No, Thor is not a good guy in Marvel's Avengers. Thor is the devil. Just want you to know that. Um, in uh, Iroquois, Indian, and Huron Indian mythology, it's Thunderbird. In Egyptian mythology, it is Set. In Canaanite and Phoenician mythology, it's Baal and Hadad. That's just some of them. You could do a quick search and see hundreds of sky god, thunder god deities from cultures all over the world that are really depicting this one particular ruler, this demonic ruler that's in constant war 
with heaven in the heavenlies. And we can see this war take place in a couple of passages in the Bible. In Daniel chapter 10, we're not going to turn there, but Daniel, he's a prophet. He receives a vision from the Lord. It's about the end of days, and it troubles him. And he goes into fasting and prayer for 21 days. That's where we get that. Because he's praying for revelation. He's praying for clarity. He's praying for God to give him direction to help him understand the vision. And the reason why it took 21 days to get the vision is because God sent the angel the moment he prayed, but there was an archon, the prince of Persia, a spiritual principality that had authority over the region where Daniel was that was in that angel's way. And so until God sent reinforcements, that angel could not get to Daniel to give him the revelation. So we see this opposition in the book of Jude in the New Testament, we see that this Satan figure, this devil figure, is arguing over the body of Moses with the archangel Michael. They're having a quarrel over Moses' body after he dies. In the book of Revelation chapter 12, we'll look at this passage. The devil is also referred to as the dragon. And in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 12, here's what it says. Now a what? A war arose in heaven. This is the heavenly realm. Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, fought back. But he was defeated because he's defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So Revelation is giving us this picture that there is constant battle in the heavenly realms, but there is a future point where the armies of heaven will kick Satan out of his realm, his place of authority once and for all. And I, and I just think, praise God for that. They're going to remove him from that place. But the thing is, is that the wars in the heavens are not isolated. These aren't just dreams or visions or things we make up in our minds. Because what takes place in the heavens is felt and experienced on the earth. In the book of Job, after this Satan figure gets permission to mess with Job's life, we get to read about all the things that he does to to cause problems in Job's life. And if you wanted to be anybody in the Bible, Job is not one of them. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read the account after this, this demon figure gets the ability to mess with Job's life because God is saying, Job will never turn on me. And Satan is like, yeah, well, watch me. I'll, I'll make him turn. I'm going to mess his life up. He'll turn. And God's like, go right ahead. I'm telling you, he's not going to turn. And so here he goes in ver chapter 1, verse 13. Satan has this authority. Here's what begins to happen under the influence of the evil one. He says, there was a day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job, and he said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. Then the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another, and he said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. This happened one after another 
after another after another in Job's life. This one account, we can see the effect of the power and the authority of this prince and power of the air. What do we see in this account? We see murderous rampages. We see thievery by opposing human militants. We see astrological signs in the heavens like fire from God down onto the earth. We see uh, winds and great winds and torrents that knocked down the house. Did you notice that what was attributed to God was actually the hand of the devil? How many times do we see natural disasters and we say that was the hand of God? May I posit that it's probably not the hand of God. It wasn't an act of God at all, but an act of the devil. You see, a regular bystander would see all these events, and they would see how devastating they were, but we would occur, say that they were naturally occurring, things that just happened by chance, but really there's a demonic force behind it all. When we look at the wars and destructive weather and other natural disasters in life, there's a high likelihood that there are otherworldly powers behind it. I was... Uh, came across this information here a few weeks ago as Israel began this conflict with Hamas after that tragic attack in October. But in the book of Genesis, when it talks about the days of Noah, it says, in the days of Noah, the world was filled with violence. That there were the thoughts and the intents of everyone's heart was evil continually. This was the state of the world. That world of violence is the word Hamas in Hebrew. The world was filled with Hamas. Now, Hamas in Arabic means something positive, like boldness or courage, something like that. But in the Hebrew, God's revealing a mystery that there is a spirit of violence. And we can see that portrayed. Now, can you imagine that attack and then all of a sudden popping up all over the world are protests against Israel and supporting Hamas? It's not coincidence. There is a demonic power a spirit of violence that is manifesting in the world. And this is the way wars in the heavenlies manifest on earth. In every instance, the enemy uses his power. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his whole purpose. He wants to undo everything God has made. And so wherever the authority lies, wherever his authority is granted... He's given spiritual authority. He's given the power to release chaos into physical reality. So we may see war in Russia and Ukraine, but what does God see? He sees wars in the heavenlies. We may see famine and disease and COVID outbreaks over here, but what does God see? He sees wars in the heavenlies. We see natural occurring instances, but God sees something different. The devil and these demonic spirits he commands also had the ability to enter into people to influence them to do their bidding. If we look at Luke 22, verse 3, it says, Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve. This is such a powerful thing to consider. You have a man who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who was hugged by Jesus, who laughed with Jesus, who cried with Jesus, who was empowered by Jesus to do signs, wonders, and miracles. But because of issues in his own life, he gave room for the enemy to enter in, and he betrayed Jesus. And when he realized what he had done, he killed himself. Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Again, in Job accounts of this disaster, Judas's account of oppression, 
aside from Jesus, maybe no one would have known what was going on. It would have looked like normal, everyday circumstance. Oh, man, it's a bad day at work. Oh, man, that person's just lost their mind. You know, we just see these natural occurring things, but God sees something different. There's a war in the heavenlies. And this is the challenge that we have in this present time because we're so naturalistic. We only see with our eyes. That's why the scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight because there are things happening that are real and tangible that if we're not aware and discerning, we'll miss it and we'll be victims of it. The scriptures unveil, they unpack what is going on in the spiritual world and, and it's important that we understand this because many of us walk through every day thinking not only is the spiritual world irrelevant, but if, if it mattered, then, you know, it probably can't touch me. It can't touch me. It can't, it can't affect me. I'd have to live over in a third world country to mess with any of that stuff. And the fact is, is that's not true. That's not the story the Bible tells us. Matter of fact, another ministry of this demonic figure in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it calls him the God of this world. And he's blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So the enemy has taken people who don't believe, who don't trust in Jesus, who don't have this relationship with God, and he's put spiritual blinders on their eyes so they can't see the truth. You know, it, it baffles my mind how we see some of these things happen in our society, in our culture, and it's like common sense, like, duh, that's wrong. But you have this whole swath of people that are supporting it and championing it. It just boggles my mind. Well, he's blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And if you think about our lives, if we go through these crisis moments where we have these moments where everything feels like it's falling apart, well, what do we do naturally? Do we search the scriptures? Do we, do, do we you know, dig into standing in bold faith and standing on God's promises? And I would love to say, yes, we do it every time, right? But what do we normally do? We crumble in our rooms. And not only do we binge watch our favorite show, but we also binge on our favorite carbohydrates. Looking for comfort in this world. Any way we can find it. Why do we do that? It's because in the moment, we don't understand that there's a war in the heavenlies. And we're caught right in the middle of it. And this is what Elisha's servant, Elisha was the protege of Elijah, you know, the fire from Heaven, Elijah, Mount Carmel. Elisha gets the double portion anointing. Woo! Imagine that. Everyone's freaked out about Elijah, and Elisha's like, well, you ain't something, nothing yet, you know. Somebody made fun of his bald head, and bears come out and mauled him to death. I'm like, that, I want that anointing. You know, you, you know, don't be talking smack about me. I got mama bear right, right behind me, you know. But this is Elisha. Well, Elisha, he's a prophet. He's given revelation by God about this, this army that's against Israel, all the things that they're doing. And so every time they plan an attack, Elisha gets the information. He's able to reroute the army. He's able to set up defenses. He's able to stop them before they start, and it's ticking them off. And so they finally do, you know, figure out, well, there's a prophet in Israel, and he's telling you all their secrets. He sees in your bedroom when you're alone with your commanders. He, like, he can see into you know, the, you know, the inner secret. He knows what you're doing. He says, okay, well, we'll just go kill the prophet then. That's our problem. We'll go kill him. So they muster the army, and they surround the city, and Elisha and his servant are, are there, and his servant's trembling. He's freaked out. He's jamming down the carbohydrates. You know, this is like that moment where he's just like, he's got the personal ice cream, and he's just like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, 
Some of you are laughing because that's you, you know. You know it is. You're like, can't get me enough Halo Top, you know what I'm saying. That's right. But he's freaking out. But Elisha's not. Elisha's rooted. He's calm. He's at peace. And all he does is he prays to the Lord. In 2 Kings 6, 17, here's his prayer. He says, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Why was Elisha secure? Is it because he could call down the armies of heaven? No, the angels didn't come down when he prayed. The angels were already there. That's why he was at peace. That's why he was secure. That's why he wasn't shaking in his boots and jamming down the carbos. Because he knew who was with him. See, just like the wind, you may not be able to see it, but you can perceive it. The wind doesn't magically appear. It's already there. You just might not have been paying attention to it. And that is the nature of the spiritual world. It's there. It's all around. It's happening as we speak. There's war happening right now. There's war for your attention right now. Some of you, you haven't stopped thinking about something that happened yesterday or the day before or something that you have later on today. Some of you haven't stopped thinking about your plans for tonight and who you're getting together with. There's war happening all around all of the time. And just as we need goggles to see underwater, we need goggles to see into the spiritual world. And we've been given a lens to know what's happening in the spiritual world. It's called the Holy Scriptures. It's called the Bible. The Scriptures teach us to discern between good and evil. Hebrews 5, 13 through 14 says, Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness and is a child. I just, for those of you that are walking with Jesus, you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, I just want that to kind of sting you in the chest a little bit. If you don't know the word of God, you're a child. That's not a positive thing. We love kids. Kids are amazing. Kids ministry is so fun. But that's not the nuance of this language. This is saying you are immature. And there is... I'm going to let it hit you there, Cam. Go ahead and throw out an amen or a hallelujah. If you're unskilled in the word, you're immature and... What are children? They're easily taken advantage of. They're easily manipulated. That's why there's a war for our kids. If we can manipulate them in school at a young age, we got them when they're older. If you're unskilled in the Word of God, you're easily manipulated. But here's what he says in verse 14 He says, Solid food. Somebody say solid food. I'd rather eat steak than eat out of the baby jar. Solid food is for the mature who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. There is a goggle, there is a lens for you, not just to see into the spiritual world, but to be able to discern between whether it's the power of God or the power of the enemy. One may see that was the hand of God, and you're like, no, that was the hand of the enemy. How are you going to tell the difference unless you have practiced your discernment and been trained by the Word of God. The Bible gives us the revelation on how to discern 
and where to focus our energies. And here's what the Bible says about where we focus our warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Can I tell you, it's not your boss that's the problem. It's not your spouse that's the problem. It's not... Your neighbor, that's the problem. It's the enemy who's gained authority into their lives and is exploiting them. That is the problem. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. It's against what's happening, this war in the heavenly places. Paul writes to the Ephesians again in chapter 4, verse 26. He's like, here's how we get entangled with this war. He says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. You want to know how to give the devil authority in your life to steal, kill, and destroy? Give him ground. Give him ground. When we have unchecked hearts, unrepentant sin... When we, when we try to hide rather than live in the light, we surrender ground. We are granting him authority into our lives. When we keep agreeing with that addiction, when we keep agreeing with that lie, when we keep agreeing with the things that he's been selling us, when we keep you know, staying out of the word so we can't discern between good and evil, and we keep being manipulated over here, it's like, here, here, devil, have more ground, have more ground, have more ground. And then we wake up and think, why is my life a freaking mess? It's because, that's right, when it's at the pulpit, it's not bad. I love you, Cameron. Keep me honest. But our life is a mess because of all the ground we've surrendered. Well, my father was an addict, and I'm an addict, and my kids are an addict, and on and on and down the line goes, why? Because we're not taking the ground back in our families. Well, my father was a liar. I'm a liar. My kids are liars. The ground has still been surrendered. It's not been taken back. A foothold means a place to set up camp. Don't you realize that's what's been happening in, in, um, between Russia and Ukraine is they're battling over land. And Ukraine's trying to get their ground back that they've surrendered to Russia. This is the nature of the war. This is why we're caught up and we're stuck is because we have surrendered ground. And until we get that ground back, we're not going to find freedom in those areas in our lives. But here's the good news. The enemies are already defeated foe. He's already defeated. And Jesus has made a way for us to break the chains that have been holding us down and to take back the ground that he's stolen. You see, the enemy is not an owner. He's a squatter. He doesn't own the ground He's occupying our territory. He's occupying the Lord's territory. If you're in Christ, you belong to Jesus. Your body is his temple. You're his possession. He purchased you with his own blood. You belong to him. You're just subletting ground in your life to the wrong king. In Romans 6.13, it says, Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. Hallelujah. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Don't give ground. Don't let any part of your body, don't let your appetite, your attention, your affection, your hobbies, your interests, don't let any of that be used by the enemy to make you a slave to sin. Why? Christ has set you free. 
You're free. And he wants you to walk free. And when we break the agreements that we've made with the enemy through repentance, through turning away and trusting in the Lord, we break his authority and we recapture that surrendered ground. James 4, 7 says, humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So here's a question. What does it take to break free from his grip? We'll go through this quickly, and we'll come to a close. Number one, it takes humility and honesty. He says, humble yourself before God. Pride is going to keep you locked. The most humble thing you can do before God is admit you need him. That you recognize that you are a sinner, that you're broken, that you need a savior. And Jesus came and he took your place and he conquered death and he rose again and he offers you salvation and forgiveness and freedom just by placing your faith and trust in him and beginning a living relationship with the living God. But in order to do that, we have to be honest with ourselves. John 12, 35, Jesus says, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in darkness can't see where they're going. As long as you hold on to the lies, as long as you keep things hidden, as long as you try to figure it out yourself and, and go your own way, you're, it's like the blind leading the blind. You're just walking in the dark. But when you humble yourself and say, I'm a mess, and I don't care who knows it, God, I'm bringing this out because I want to expose everything into the light, you have a promise of God the darkness will not overtake you. That's a lesson I have had to learn and am still learning every day in my life. Humble yourself before God, and he will lift you up. Number two, it takes a repentant heart. This is resisting the devil. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's in the Old Testament, it's Amos 3.3. It's so easy to remember. I want you to memorize it right now. Can two people walk in the same direction and not be in an agreement? That's a hypothetical question. That's the verse. Can two people walk in the same direction and not be agreed? The answer is no. If we're heading in the same direction, we're in agreement on the direction that we're going. Here's what repentance is. I'm agreeing with the devil in this area. I'm going to stop. He's going to go this way, and I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to go with Jesus. It's stop and change direction. You can't repent if you're still walking in the same direction. If you're still believing the same lies, if you're still doing the same things, you can't repent. There's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow means I just feel bad when I mess up. Godly sorrow says, I hate that. I'm going this way. There's a difference. It takes humility, and it takes a repentant heart to stop walking in agreement with the enemy and walk in agreement with Christ. And that brings us to number three, faith and trust in Jesus, Matthew 17, 20, as he's talking about why, the end, why his disciples couldn't conquer the enemy, couldn't deliver this man's child from a demonic uh, oppression, Jesus says, you don't have enough faith. But he says, I tell you the truth, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could speak to a mountain and move it from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. That doesn't mean your faith needs to grow. He says, if you had even this much faith, you can do miraculous things. What's he getting at? He's saying, you need the faith enough to keep going and don't quit. It doesn't matter what size of faith you have. If you keep going, you keep trusting, you keep believing the word, you keep walking in agreement with Jesus, at the right time, that deliverance is going to happen. That bond is going to break. That stronghold is going to fall. That ground's going to be brought back, and you're going to find freedom in that area. Don't quit until the miracle happens. And this is 
our journey over the next 21 days. And in this packet, if you didn't receive a packet, they're at the Connection Center. There's two sections. Phase one, we're going to be learning about the armor of God. This is the defense and the weaponry we've been given by God to wage successful spiritual war as Christians following Jesus. And then phase two, we're going to start waging spiritual war as we start walking in freedom personally with things that we're struggling and learning on how to help other people walk in freedom. And I, I just believe that this is the next phase we're, we're walking into. It's time we quit playing around with this stuff. We start training our discernment, start seeing what's going on, and we start not only walking in freedom, but helping this community walk in freedom. And so we're getting ready to enter into a powerful, I believe, and important season. So the word this year is suit up because God is activating us into the next phase of ministry. He's activating this church in the next phase of ministry. And he's activating you into your place in the ministry of this church and the kingdom of God. And so it's time to quit talking about getting active and it's start, time to start becoming active. And I just want to remind you to mark your calendars, January 19th, it's going to end our, our 21 days of fasting and prayer. Um, we're going to end with 24 hours of prayer. We're going to open up the meeting place. So next week, there'll be a sign-up sheet at the Connection Center where you can sign up for a time. You can sign up for multiple times. Uh, Aaron's already got the 3 a.m. spot. <laughs> but, but it's going to be open, and we're going to encourage our people to come and fill this place with prayer. God said, my house shall be known as a house of prayer. We're dedicating ourselves for 21 days in fasting and prayer, and we're going to end with 24 hours of constant prayer, praying for our church, praying for our community and praying for God's will to be done and the anointing to go and do kingdom ministry. But for today, I just want to close our time. as uh, Let's just bow our heads for just a minute as I, as I pray. And I just want to pray a simple prayer. It's the prayer Elisha prayed for his servant to awaken him to spiritual realities. And again, even before we can begin engaging in war, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, he made it so simple. He did all the work for you. You don't have to do anything, become anything. You don't have to attend a certain number of services or go through classes. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. If you confess Jesus with your mouth and you believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And I just feel in my spirit that there are people here, that this message has resonated with you. It's like, it's like seeing for the first time. It's like things are clicking. You're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize, or I didn't think about that before, and I didn't understand that, and, and that explains this part of my life, or that explains this experience that I had. And God is saying, I'm showing this to you. I'm letting you see into the spiritual reality because I have a plan and a purpose for you. It's planned for good and not disaster. It's to give you a future and a hope, and it's found in Jesus Christ. It's found in saying yes to Jesus. And so if you don't have a personal relationship with God, you don't know that your sins are forgiven or that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven, the Bible just opens up this incredible opportunity. It's the invitation Jesus made to the whole world. It's found in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That covers the whole world and that covers you. If you're here today and you need to begin a relationship with Christ, I just want to encourage you 
just by praying this simple prayer with me. The Bible says you confess him with your mouth. So I'm going to encourage you to pray out loud. It doesn't have to be loud, but just pray this with your mouth. And believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead. And I know from the authority of the word of God, his spirit is going to come live in you. You're going to feel it. You're going to know it. And you're going to be different. You may have come the same today, but you're going to leave changed. If you make this declaration, this commitment from your heart, just say a simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I trust in you to be my savior. Please forgive me of my sins. I dedicate my life to you now and forever. You are my Lord and Savior. I trust in your glorious death and your powerful resurrection. Make my heart your home now and forever. In the name of Jesus, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Lord God, I pray for us today. I pray for those that maybe prayed today for the first time to receive you as Lord and Savior. God, we rejoice with them. We are thankful to have an opportunity to watch you work in people's lives. But God, for today, I ask God you give us eyes to see. Give us discernment. And the discernment of spirits. Not to over-spiritualize our lives or remove responsibility by blaming the devil for everything but to give us eyes to see where we have invited him in through disobedience or a lack of faith. Or maybe the way he's had authority in our lives through sins in our family line going back generations. And God, show us how to break those agreements. Spirit of truth, we ask you to come and shine the light and show us how to begin breaking these walls down, these strongholds down and walking free today in the mighty name of Jesus. If you're in agreement today, we say all God's people said. Amen. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.